You are listening to the Critical Mass Radio Show, Orange County's business talk show focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies with your host, Richard Franzi. Hello, and you're listening to Orange County's longest running business talk show. I am your host, Rick Franzi, and we have a returning guest. Yes, I know you say you don't do that very often, Rick, but we are doing that today because Sherry Snelling, who was on our show in May of 2022, is back because she just launched her second book titled Me Time Monday, the weekly wellness plan to find balance and joy for a busy life. Sherry, welcome back to the show. Well, thank you, Rick, for having me back. I guess all that begging did work out for me to get back on your show. <laughs> yeah, I, I just can't say no to good people, so I'm happy to have you here. All right, let's talk about the original motivation or inspiration that you had to take the time and make the commitment and write your book. Yes. Well, great question. And the story behind it is in my first book, which was a cast of caregivers, it came out literally 10 years ago. I can't believe it was that long. I had a chapter called Me Time Monday, and it was about self-care for family caregivers. How do you find that time to create a little bit better balance in your life? And from that chapter, I started a workshop for a lot of my employer clients, because most of my work is done with organizations uh, who have people that they are helping with wellness issues and family caregiving issues or employers. Mm -hmm. And that became a workshop and a webinar that I've now been doing for 10 years. And then what, what I started seeing happening are two things. One, of course, I started seeing a lot more surveys and studies that were showing that there was this decrease in our overall mental and emotional health. And this was even pre-pandemic. We were seeing you know, increase in stress and burnout and anxiety and other things. And then certainly once the pandemic hit, all of a sudden, I think everybody felt that their life was a bit out of balance. And so it seemed like a perfect time to revisit that chapter in the book. And I'd been doing a lot of research as a gerontologist around stress and, and the effect on us and how do we bring our life in balance. And one of the things I found really fascinating is I came across um, there in the Native American Hopi language, there is a term called Kuanakwatsi. And what that means is a life out of balance. And the way that it has been used in that culture is we know that we have more and more technology in our lives and we have to use it. You know, this is just part of our, our being progressive. Um, but at the same time, with more technology, we actually then need more nature to bring that balance mm. back. And part of this has to do, and I know we'll get into this in a, in a minute, but has to do with neuroscience and the ancient brain or what we call the ancient brain, which is really going back to two to three million years ago, we were out on the African savanna. You know, we saw beautiful blue skies. We had fresh air. We had mosaic of trees that gave us shelter, but also we could crawl up in the tree if a predator was coming. And then we saw grasslands where and floral where the colors and, and all of that told us, okay, there's a water source, there's a food source here. I feel comforted. I feel safe. I feel secure. And interestingly enough, that ancient brain is still at work today. And so when we don't get outside enough, when we don't have these multi-sensory, you know, our five senses experiences, we start to feel more stressed. We have, we're feeling not as safe, not as secure, not as comforted. And that really has a lot to do, I think, with what we're seeing with some of the mental health and emotional health issues. Interesting. Thank you. I, I was wondering, the title of the book, Me Time Monday, The Weekly Wellness Plan to Find Balance and Joy for a Busy Life. Mm 
just rolls right off the tongue, doesn't right? it? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, you, you have best practice. You have to have a catchy title and then a subtitle that gives a little bit more substance. Right, so exactly. Because me time Monday, you know, we're not sure where we're going with that. So that's a that's a great question. Um, you know, the me time, of course, most people know what me time is. It's about how to find those moments that, you know, spark joy, bring happiness, or again, just give us a moment of calm and peace in a crazy chaotic world. Um, the Monday is interesting because it's really based on science and on studies and surveys that have been done. And it was when I was working with a group called the Healthy Monday Campaign, which based their science on John Hopkins University research, that showed that Mondays are actually the best day for us to start healthier behaviors. And one of the reasons why is it's part of our cultural DNA. It's the start of the work week. It's the start of the school week. We are used to that. But what's interesting is um, a survey that was done by Hopkins showed that 64% of people said, if I start a new routine, something that I know is good for me on a Monday, I actually have less stress for the rest of the week. And then knowing that you can check in with yourself every Monday, so it's different from a resolution, which during the new year, we have these lofty goals that we abandon by February. This is actually a constant reminder. So it's a little bit of behavioral science. It's giving us that weekly cadence of every week we're checking in with ourselves to say, how did I do? You know, okay, I didn't get to what I wanted to do me time wise. Maybe I have another week here to do that. So it's kind of a nice prompt and it's certainly something that the studies and surveys are showing give us a little bit more success in what we're trying to achieve for ourselves. I will make a note of that. And the next time I plan a change, which is probably not that far along, I'm going to kick it off on Monday and take your science to heart and see how well, it happens. And I want to just explain to you, a lot of people have asked me um, since the workshops and, and now with the book out, they've said, so does that mean I have to do my me time on Monday? And the answer is no. You just have to think about it. You just have to plan it. Oh, you have okay. to kind of look at your calendar because okay. a lot of people felt a little like, you know, oh, I have to do this on Mondays. And the actual thing is, no, you're just checking in with yourself on Monday. It might be Friday that you do your me time or it might be, you know, Thursday afternoon or whatever oh, okay. it is. But you're you're definitely having that weekly check in with yourself. And it's also putting a nice positive spin on Mondays because a lot of people have been talking about bare minimum Mondays and you know, kind of not looking at Mondays as a good day. This kind of gives you a little bit of your empowerment back that Monday becomes your me time day. <laughs> yeah, Monday certainly isn't as cool as its sister, Friday. People Fridays love the are Friday. still the number one day of the <laughs> yeah. week that people are happiest about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, so as you were writing the book, slaving the long hours to make sure it was all good, who did you hope would read the book? Well, you know, I always start my writing and my books in particular, thinking about the family caregivers, you know, 53 million Americans are caring for a loved one um, in our country who is over the age of 50. Now, what's interesting is there were three kind of goals, I guess, that I had for the book. And this is going to ultimately answer your question, who, who is, should be reading the book. The first goal was to redefine caregiving. You know, we often talk about caregiving as caring for an older parent, in-law, or grandparent. It's not something we necessarily prepare or plan for. It typically happens maybe midlife or later in life. But what I was seeing is that we've got 17-year-old caregivers who are caring for a, a parent or grandparent who has a disability or a chronic disease. We have 70-year-olds caring for 90-year-old parents because we know we're all living longer. And caregiving was also starting to be defined by employers as being anyone in the workplace who was caring for someone. So it could be everybody from a child 
or a special needs child through a spouse up through our older loved ones. And what was interesting to me is we start life being cared for, we end life being cared for, and in between we have these caregiving relationships, different ages, stages, different needs maybe. And then the one constant throughout this whole continuum is the self-care that we need to, again, have that balance in our life. So, so I wanted to redefine caregiving, and I call, it, I call caregivers the Generation C, Gen C, Generation Caregiver in the book. The second thing I wanted to do is redefine wellness, because one of the things I started to see, and I, I have a marketing and branding background, everything I was seeing is wellness now. We have wellness pillows. We have wellness resorts. We have wellness in the workplace. We have wellness tuna and wellness shampoo. It's like... <laughs> Well, this is becoming meaningless. And I really started to feel like, whoa, wait a minute. Let me peel back the onion here. What are the what are the roots and the foundation of wellness? And what I found really fascinating is my research was taking me back way back, two to three thousand years ago with the ancient Egyptians and you know, uh, ancient Indians and Ayurveda and traditional Chinese medicine, and even you know the the uh, published you know writings of Aristotle and Hippocrates who talked about balance. And what's interesting is most people today, I think, would define wellness or think about it as more of your physical, right? So are you exercising? Are you eating well? You know, those types of things. And then maybe throw a little meditation in. And wellness is really broader than that. Those are certainly components of it. But what I explain in the book is that there are really seven elements of life that we all tap into. And we have to have balance in those seven elements to really have this ultimate ultimate wellness. And it might seem like a lot to bite off. Wow, seven things? Are you kidding me? And particularly for caregivers who have no time for any of it, right? That's crazy. And so, but what I talk about in the book, and this is part of the Me Time Monday concept, it's small little baby steps. It's what I call micro flows. Mm. And it's all about just a couple of minutes. It might be one line of gratitude that you say in the morning, and that fits into your spiritual wellness element. You know, it might be something that you do in your home environment. You bring some nature in, which is biophilic design. That's going to fulfill your environmental wellness element. So it's small little things that you can do. It doesn't have to be a big, huge program or routine that you have to start. And that's part of the solutions and tips that I give. And some of it I've learned from my workshop participants. They've brought things back to me on how they start to practice these seven different elements of life. But it's really important that we recognize it's not just a physical or nutritional aspect. That's not wellness completely. Wellness is about a holistic look at life and how everything kind of fits together. And it can be overwhelming. You know, you talk about the caregiver, uh, very good friends of ours. We had dinner with them earlier this week Mm -hmm. and the wife's parents are aging and between her and her sister and her two brothers, it takes all four of them. Sure. And there's a lot of handoff and coordination and, and and it's just stressful because the parents do not live near here. They're driving distance, but it's a drive. Right. Well, and I would do a shout out to that friend because very often we don't hear about a a care team, if you will, because I would call them then a care team Mm. coming together to care for older loved ones. It usually falls on one person primarily to do a lot of that 
that hands-on care and you might get some help financially or something from siblings or others, but usually it falls on one person. So the fact that they've got a team effort going is fantastic. And then I mentioned there's three things. So I want to just quickly say the third thing in the book that I really wanted readers to take away. And I think this is part of what we were going through during the pandemic and now coming, having come through it, we're still stuck in, I don't feel as happy, you know, like Mm -hmm. what's going on now. Some of that has to do with the economy and, you know, things that we're seeing. It has to do with all the strife that we've seen in in our society. And so I call joy economy. And what I define as the joy economy is our happiness is in our own hands. Really, we have a choice and we can choose to be happy or we can choose to be unhappy. And by the way, that is a mantra from my stepfather, uh, mm-hmm. who was an Orange County businessman. And he was really the person who he and my mom helped t- teach me that. But it's really true. And, you know, we have to decide what's important in our lives what for us and what brings me happiness. And, and, you know, me time isn't all about just comforting yourself with a bubble bath or a massage. It's, it's really about accomplishing something that makes you feel valued that gives you value in your life. And so this whole joy economy concept is how do we invest in our own happiness and how do we grow that happiness over time and keep it consistent throughout our lives? So I, I kind of coined it the joy economy. I love that. And I love the, the idea of micro small things that, because it can, it could feel like it's yet another thing I have to do, even though it's for me, it's an obligation. And then you're in that loop. Of, of counterproductive feeling, I would think too. So yeah. you, you mentioned there are the seven elements. Well, I love the way the book is structured. It's it it reads like in a positive way a how-to guide. I mean, yes. it, it's it's really informative, easy to read, but chock full of practical tips and ideas. So you've kind of touched on the seven elements. Is there anything else that you want to highlight from the from the meaty content of the book that we haven't had a chance to talk about? Yeah, well, you know, again, um, the seven elements, just to tell everybody what they are, they're your physical wellness, your emotional wellness, your social wellness, which is a really big predictor of our overall happiness is our quality of our relationships, Um, our intellectual wellness, where I talk a lot about things like brain health and brain training, but also our environments for work and career. Uh, environmental wellness, which is my new, you know, sweet spot. I love this whole biophilic design, bringing nature inside to our homes and offices. Uh, and then financial wellness, because it impacts so much of our other happiness factors, our finances and where we're at financially and how to plan for certain things that happen throughout life. And then finally, our spiritual wellness. And, you know, one of the things I think that we're seeing is we talk a lot about becoming more of a secular nation. And whether you describe spirituality as religion and faith or whether it's just believing in a higher power, however you describe that, we have that need in our life to bring balance back. And one of the things I've heard from family caregivers for the last 20 years is I feel all alone. And that concerns me because, yes, I get it. You know, you don't have a lot of other help. Again, maybe siblings aren't helping you out in the care of an older parent or loved one. But if we have a connection and a relationship with a higher power, then we should really never feel alone. And there's a lot of discussion and and science in the book about post-traumatic growth and resiliency and, you know, how to crack the ad anxiety code and things. But I think it's a really important point because I think that's a grounding factor for a lot of people that we don't often think about. And, you know, I talk about 
there's science. I think I mentioned to you before we came on live here that I had read over 450 peer-reviewed evidence-based research studies to really validate the theories that I had and the things that I was seeing in terms of wellness. And then I also tell little stories for each one of those seven sections that kind of get people into the topic. So it's interesting as you were explaining the seven elements, I was also thinking that um, as people age, the financial part of their life could be a challenge because unfortunately there are quite a number of people that aren't really ready for retirement as they age. And then if you lay that stress on top of an aging parent that you have to care for, your book could really be a needed element for those people that are feeling like everything's kind of closing in on them a little bit. Right. Well, and as I said, I, I always write with the family caregiver in mind, realizing they have no time to read a book. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, so it's a little bit of a, hmm, uh, but that's why I also write so that you could read a page or two and get, and, and get something that you're going to take away from it. It's not like yeah. you have to sit down and literally read front to back this book. You could jump to a section or an area where you feel like you want a little bit more in, information. Your chapters are manageable too. I mean, they're, they're like, if you're a bedtime reader and you, you know, you read until you get tired, those chapters feel like they're just about the right amount of length that gets you into the Yes. My book will sleep, help but... you put you to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't mean that. No, I'm all, just but, kidding. I'm just, you know but there I'm is some sleep science in the book. So thank you for pointing that out. <laughs> well, there you go. Uh, it's, uh, it's so well footnoted as well there. You know, I was in looking through the back, how many references you have to the research that you're leveraging to, to, for the content that you've developed. So this is, this is a lifelong tenure kind of project, it feels like. That's really the combination of that. I, I, I see you have a publisher, Link, Lincoln Booth, I guess. Lincoln Booth? Booth Press. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> and I'm just wondering, uh, why did you feel it was important to have a publisher? And how does that kind of helping you with the book launch and the creation, creative process, et cetera? Sure. And we could probably do a whole show on just, you know, if you want to become an author, right? Um, but just really quickly, I'll tell you. So there's kind of three different ways you can go about writing a book. The first way is the traditional publisher way. You have to go get an agent that will broker your manuscript into the publishing houses and the imprints that are out there. I know people who have done it that route, and it can take up to 10 years to get your book written. Plus, mm -hmm. You lose a lot of control. Um, I had one friend who got published last year and they changed the title of her book. They changed the design she was thinking about. They even changed the table of contents, how to rewrite some stuff. So, but, you know, having said that, that is giving you certain credibility if you're under an imprint with Random House, whatever. Luck and Brew Press is, is in the middle and it's what we call a hybrid publisher. And what that means is that it's, it's more of an independent publisher where you, you know, bring your manuscript to them. Now, a hybrid usually requires that you be a published writer. Now, I, you know, and I've written for Forbes and PBS and other places, but I also had my first book under my belt. And not only that you be a published author, but then also they have to vet your manuscript and accept it. Mm -hmm. And so that's what a hybrid publisher is. And then they will provide, you do pay a fee, but then they will provide, you know, help with the interior design and the layout and getting you into the distribution resellers, the Amazons and Barnes and Noble and other places, libraries and things like that, and give you a little bit of guidance and help and support that way. But not a lot of marketing support 
And I will say even a traditional publisher, unless you're Stephen King or James Patterson, you're not going to get a lot of marketing support either. So you really have to get either a team behind you to do the marketing or in my instance, I have been a marketer my whole life. So I kind of have, you know, some of that and I'm tapping into people to help, but I do a lot of them on my own. And then the third is more of what we would call the the vanity press or the independent publishers. And those are people who are looking to just publish, you know, thoughts or memoirs or whatever. You don't have to be vetted. You don't have to be a pre-published author, but you can go and you can pay a certain fee and then they'll help you get your book published as well. Oh, thank you. See, there's it's a depth of knowledge there with the Sherry Snelling folks, regardless of where we go. She's, she's deep on the content, which I really appreciate. <laughs> you know, you're when you were on the show last year, we talked about you as a corporate gerontologist, and yes. I'm wondering how will the book influence that part of your business and life? Yeah, great, great question. Uh, you do. I write the books because I want to share with a broader public what I feel is important and give people, you know, a leg up on how to look at things or what will help them some solutions. So that's really the first goal of the book. And as I said, I was doing workshops for employers, but that's, you know, that's an isolated kind of controlled environment. I wanted to take all that and put it into a book. But I also write the book because, you know, a lot of people are out there and they talk about I'm a thought leader or I'm an expert in this space. And there's a lot of ways that you can consider yourself that. But I feel like the book really gives me a lot of credibility with my clients because having looked at what I write, which is nonfiction, and again, you looked at all of the notes in the back. I think it was like 25 pages of references that I had on studies. It really shows, okay, I've done my homework. I'm on top of the latest science, the trends, the innovations that are happening out there. And I also interviewed about 25 different experts in different uh, different spaces. And um, and so that gives me a little bit more credibility, I think, with, with my clients and they say, okay, she really is an expert. <laughs> like we'll, we'll buy into her thought leadership here and yeah, let's hire her to help us consult on this or do this workshop and train, you know, help train or help our employees or whatever it is. And then the third piece is quite frankly, one of my business revenue streams is speaking engagements. And mm -hmm. of course, when you've got fresh content and you've got a new book out, um, a lot of people want to book you to speak to their organizations. And I do have an agent that um, actually helps, you know, get me into different speaking gigs. And of course, they get really excited when I tell them I have a new book out. So they're very happy with me. It's only been 10 years since they've been waiting, but now it gives them something new to go out to their clients and say, hey, we've got this great author that can come speak to your group. Well, those are three great ways to leverage and bring it all together for kind of momentum in the flywheel of your business and your educational work that you're doing. Right. I, I know that you have 52 tips for self-care. I'm wondering if, if people would like to get access to your knowledge base and what you kind of write about, et cetera, how do they find you online? Where should they go, Sherry? Yeah, great question. So the 52 tips has been part of the workshops that I do. That's part of the overall structure of our workshops. And the way that you can find me is if you go to caregivingclub.com, that's the name of my company, Caregiving Club, you're going to find, you know, on the main tab, you're going to find Me Time Monday with all the information about not only the book, but the workshops that I do specifically under this wellness space. And what we're thinking about doing, so this is, you know, something we haven't tried yet, is maybe even doing some of the workshops on 
online so that individuals, mm -hmm. not organizations, but individuals who want to join a group on a certain date or just join for their own on-demand viewing and learning are going to be able to tap into some of these workshop lessons and modules that we have. So that's something that we're looking to do this fall. And then they would be able to access all of those 52 tips. But I'm also doing a lot of writing and blogging and I put things up on social media where, where a lot of these tips are going to be found as well. So you are a one busy entrepreneur and author. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> and so thank you for making time to be a guest on the program. It's great to have you back. I'm so happy that your second book has dropped and I wish you nothing but great success with it. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for having me back on, Rick. I really appreciate the support. And I'd like to thank the audience. You've been a part of Orange County's longest running business talk show. Sherry's interview will now be a part of our catalog, and there's 1,400 plus interviews in that catalog. If you're an Orange County entrepreneur and you have a story to tell, or maybe you're a newly published author in Orange County, reach out to me. I'm Rick, R-I-C, Franzi, F-R-A-N-Z-I, on LinkedIn, or that's our website as well, rickfranzi.com. And between Haley and I, our producer, we'll figure out how to schedule you for a future episode here on Critical Mass Business Talk Show. And until the next time we have a chance to be together, I hope that all of your business decisions will move your company in a positive direction.